0: This week on Backyard Footy. That
1: was a, that was an interesting week. Yes, I got uh, one at the beginning of the week. I was in charge of running the sessions and creating the sessions, and then by the end of the week, I was demoted. Then back down to uh, not doing that. So I must have done a poor job uh, oh, man, in that process. Great. But oh. it was a roller coaster, and I think some of that just sums it up. Yeah, yeah. That first part of it. Right. It was an up and down, and just kind of trying to. The best analogy I gave this to someone the other day, it was it was like throwing darts at a dartboard, and we're just gonna see what we hit and what sticks. And um, one thing that I'm gonna take forward and learn, because I obviously want to be a head coach in in this league or league one uh, at some point, you know, is like getting things as solidified as you can. There's gonna be change. There's gonna be the um, players coming in and going out and that type of thing, but. Like, to start the way that we started is not fair to the players, one, um, and really to the staff. I mean, we, we really didn't have a chance to set the tone and really drive forward and build.
0: What's up, footy fans? Welcome to the 25th episode of Backyard Footy with your host, Hugh Roberts, where each episode I dive into the background, journeys, and experiences of professional athletes, former athletes, and anyone that's been involved with the game, and now coaches as well. Have my first coach here with you guys. It's a great honor, my man, Dave Dixon. Appreciate you coming on the show. Anytime. Probably the closest coach I came with throughout the year. um, From first of all, starting with Jim, he's probably the one guy who took me outside after practices, we trained after practice took me to film, um, watched all my touches almost weekly, just really grew me to have have me ha- perform probably the best year I've had in my personal season. So Dave, I appreciate you coming on the show, being my first coach on the show. So how's your offseason been going? How's everything?
1: Busy. Yeah, busy trying to get everything wrapped up and and then uh, look forward to 2020. So I've been trying to get all of the meetings done and, and you know get everyone situated and Either out of town or settled into town uh, for the off season, and and just kind of looking forward to honestly a little bit putting 2019 behind us and quickly getting to 2020, and so a uh, little bit of a another rebuild. Um, you know, we're gonna probably have uh, some significant turnover in the roster, um, which uh, can be exciting. You know, as we as we look forward, so excited about that and just. Watching tons and tons of video right now.
0: So is that that really video, like recruiting wise, or the previous season? Yeah,
1: I mean, we basically sat down as a group and, you know, obviously evaluated the season and each of the players and our thoughts and you know getting into those off season kind of individual meetings and giving everyone an idea of where we want to head in the future. Um, those are always difficult um, because there's tough conversations to have in those and coming off a tough season, it's even more of those. So, um, you know, you kind of get through that phase and, and figure out, okay, here's where we want to go with the returning players. Um, but at the same time, you're you're diving into all of the different phone calls and emails and information you're getting from agents and right. different players. And, you know, for us, we look at every avenue. I mean, we, we're looking at tons of college players right now as well. So it's been busy being out, at, uh, out on college campuses and watching guys play. And, and just kind of sorting through all of that um, one of the big things for us in the offseason is our combine um, and so trying to get prepared Wednesday. for that um, December 13th 14th So it will be same weekend as the final four oh, okay. um, so we um, it'll be for mostly just college players we'll have a few free agents um, maybe some younger free agents that are still kind of trying to make their way um, but it's been successful in the past for the independents and mm-hmm something we're looking forward to as well this year.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's how I got found back mm-hmm. in Richmond days, yeah. too. So. That's crazy. So what's your off-season consist of? I, you know, for mm-hmm. us, it's a little different being on the pro side an athlete, but for a coach, like, what yeah. is your – besides recruiting, you're saying you're on college campuses a little, but yeah. I didn't even know you guys came into the office like that and watched film yep. until I saw you guys today. so.
1: Yeah, no, we – I mean, every day we try to knock out as much um, film on players that we're looking at, um, each of the – members of the staff has a different area maybe that they they look into I'm, I'm doing a lot of the college stuff right now um, and trying to get ready for for the combine Mike is sifting through all of the agents he has great relationships with so many different agents and you know you're they work together in the past so they kind of have an idea of these are players that Mike would like right. so he kind of sifts through those and he'll send those to me every night I get a A text and an email, look at these six, seven players. Um, Mike is really thorough um, and puts together huge lists of players. And so we try to, as quick as we can, narrow that down, get three or four players at each position that are targets, and then see what we can come up with.
0: Nice. Yeah, I had no idea about that. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your background, like how did you get started? I just found out you're from Central PA too, didn't even know that. Yep. Uh, yeah, how'd you get started? So,
1: yeah, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania. Um, soccer, actually didn't have high school soccer in my high school till ninth grade. Um,
0: Sorry, real quick. It's funny you say that because on my last episode, I was just talking about soccer not being accessible like everywhere throughout this country, so that's funny. Yeah, I, I'm,
1: that. I think you're 100% accurate with that. It's It's still in a phase, which is crazy because there's been so much growth, but it's still in a phase where it's. it's very new in rural areas and inner city areas. I mean, there's so many untapped markets in this country. And, you know, I coached in Mississippi for a while, same thing. I mean, it's like just if you have a good team in Mississippi, you have to drive five, six hours to get good games for them. I mean, it's crazy. So, um, but yeah, but I grew up in Western Pennsylvania and just started to play. I I was a wrestler and played every other sport when I was younger and then started playing soccer and just kind of fell and fell in love with it. And, uh, uh, we moved to Massachusetts when I was a little younger, and we lived there for a few years, and everybody there played soccer. I mean, oh, it, was, yeah, yeah. it was all different foreign backgrounds, and I had all these English coaches, so it was great. I really then uh, knew that I, I want to try to pursue this. So. Uh, and then uh, my junior year in high school, I switched my position. I was a really, really slow center back, <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't have much of a future there. And going into preseason with my high school team, um, our goalkeeper got hurt. So I switched to, I was like, all right, I'll do it. I I played basketball. I I love basketball. I related to it, you know, I think very well. So I uh, switched over and became a goalkeeper in 11th grade uh, and then ended up going to play in college and then played, you know, two years in USL.
0: US, uh, what, what team did you play for
1: back then? Played for the Charlotte Eagles, and Eagles it was actually called then. the USISL back USISL. then. So it's had a couple of different names. Wow. Yeah.
0: So that's how you got started with the
1: Eagles? That's how I got started with the Eagles, yep. Uh, they So I went to a small college uh, called Houghton College in upstate New York, western New York, and the guy who actually started the Eagles uh, mm. was an alumnus from our college, Brian Davidson. He was a goalkeeper as well. Um, and so anyways, I knew a lot about the Eagles, and so... Yeah, Mark Steffen, yeah. Um, after my senior year, asked me to come and, and, and be a part of the roster and play. So.
0: And then after that, you kind of stayed down there coaching-wise?
1: Well, I knew, well, I wasn't much of a player, let's be honest. So uh, didn't get much playing time, knew I wasn't going to make a career out of it. And back then, uh, there was no USL Players Union forming. <laughs> and wages were uh, significantly lower than they are now. And everyone knows that they're not great now. Right. Um, Back then, I mean, everyone was basically playing for six months and then playing indoor uh, or coaching or doing something. They had to do something, but they were just playing because they wanted a chance. Um, And so anyways, uh, I knew that I always wanted to get into coaching. And so uh, after my second year in Charlotte, you know, the writing on the wall, I'm not going to get a ton of playing. I said, I'm going to transfer and switch over and start to really dive into coaching. Um, and went back up at, to upstate New York and worked with a friend for a year just to try to start to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then went from there, Went been all over the place. Yeah,
0: from there, tell us where you've been. Yeah, of-
1: so I started out uh, there, and it was a small school called Roberts Wesleyan College and was an assistant. And uh, and ended up getting a job to start a women's program in uh, Jackson, Mississippi at Bellhaven College. Oh, wow. So I did one season as an assistant and then got a head coaching job at a small, really small NAI school in, in Mississippi and really had no idea what I was doing <laughs> and what I was getting myself into, but uh, ended up there and, and really enjoyed that and was on the women's side of the game for eight years at a couple different small schools and, mm-hmm. uh, and then at Temple University as well. And then I really wanted to get on the men's side. Uh, and so I, I figured the longer I stay here, the harder it'll be to, to get on the men's side. And so ended up uh, being able at one small school to Milligan College in Johnson City, Tennessee, get a, a job coaching on the, the men's side. And then from there realized like, boy, I really want to get working with professionals. And um, so I took a job in uh, Mississippi with a PDL team and started to work full-time there and help them build a youth club. Um, and Jen just loved it I was like I wanted to work with higher level players yeah. um, and then from working there in Mississippi came to Charlotte and was an assistant coach with the Eagles back
0: when the protein back style.
1: when yeah okay. back when the protein was there so the 20, um, four is it 13 14 seasons um, you know we ended up actually 2013 losing to Orlando in the in the final mm-hmm. we had a had a really good team some guys i think that you know Samuel Asante yeah, and yeah, 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 Stephen Okai some of those guys um, and Christian Ramirez had a really good team a lot of young guys that were really really great to be around but um so
0: That was your first year with the Eagles? That was my first year coaching with the Eagles. Yeah, I was I came an assistant the year after mm-hmm. 14 Richmond. Yep. That's funny.
1: Yep. Um, and so and then t- 2014 was our last pro season. Yep. Uh, and then the Charlotte Independents bought the professional rights and the Eagles dropped down to what was called the PDL then or USL League Two now and so um, Mark Steffens actually went to Pittsburgh and uh, asked me to come along and so it was really tough decision but I felt like I wanted to stay in Charlotte and kind of run and do my own thing so um, stayed in with the Eagles and took over the PDL team again there and uh, really enjoyed it had a great group of guys for a couple years and And then, uh, you know, was, was wanting to get into the back into the professional game, and a friend of mine got the job in Indy, at Indy 11, Martin Rennie, and so he called me and, and said, hey, I'd love for you to come up. We'd been talking. We wanted to work together for a long time, and so uh, made the move up there um, for just a season. It wasn't, uh, from a family perspective, my kids were starting high school, and my son in ju- junior high, and... decided not to move so uh, I got a little bit lucky and Troy Lesane got a job uh, in New Mexico and Mike gave me a call and said you know we'd we'd love for you to come back and and to work with the independents and so that's where I'm I'm at
0: (laughs) so how what's the difference like dealing with professional players your egos and what now it's shifting from PDL, which is mostly college for those who don't know it's basically like the summer league in college Mm -hmm. but now you're going to us like this is by far for me, the most expensive roster I've been on, the most talented roster I've been on, and I really saw big egos in the locker room. Yeah, how do you, as a coaching staff, kind of deal with
1: that? Yeah, that's a great question, and I think it's it's different every year, to be honest. I think um, your group makes a big difference in that. Um, we had a, a very much a veteran group this year, we had a lot of guys with lots of experience and guys that have played at. You know, very high levels for a long time, and even younger guys that have played at all different levels. And so, I think that you know that's probably the the biggest balancing thing that you want to get right: your culture and how you um, the expectations you have on players, the expectations you have on yourself as you deal with those those players. I think that that's really important. Um, and I think this year for us it was a bit of a crazy year. Um, went through bunch of different things and I felt like for me as a coach I learned a ton uh, this year about how to and I don't like to say managing egos but I I think just how how to deal with different players and create relationships I think trust is a big part of working with players and working with anyone but um, you know developing the trust that I want what's best for you Uh, I want what's best for the team, you know, those types of things that that I'm here to serve you as a coach, to make you better and to make our team ultimately the best it can be. And I think until players um, feel that trust, then it's difficult to manage, as you said, manage some ego. So, uh, and I think there's always going to be times when you'd have disagreements and, you know, as a player, you might disagree with how in the direction something's going. And I think from a coaching perspective, same thing. I might see one thing and you see another, but we have to figure out how quickly we get to that common ground. Because um, I think players, even young players, their mentalities um, and how they want to be coached, and it's changing. And so the more so than a dictatorship, it's a partnership, um, which I like. I enjoy that better. I'd rather, I'd rather figure out the best solutions based on our, our players and, and those types of things rather than just stand there and say, this is what we're going to do. And, and whether it works or not, this is what we're going to do. Right. Um, so I, I think it's a, it's a something that as a coach you continually improve on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something where communication, the trust, all of those things are something that I want to always get better at every day. I want the players to feel like they understand exactly what I want from them and um, But I also that I believe in them, and believe in their qualities. But I'm also going to push them to help take them to the next level. So,
0: right, and that's something I kind of got that vibe from you. I mean, I remember meeting you back in physicals, and I was like, Hey, Mr. Dixon, you're like, No, just call me Dave. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, alright, yeah. From there, but then that, that's just how you are. And I got to yeah. got to know you throughout the years, and I felt like time I could all, Even when Jim was around too, I could just come to you like, Hey Dave, like maybe I saw something different as a player, give you my point of view. But hearing you now talk about those, those relationships, you implemented that throughout the year and not just with me, certain people like we all felt that vibe. So I don't know if you felt that way, but a lot of players just came to you per se because like we got that vibe from you. So yeah. I agree. And I think that goes a long way. You get the most from your players in doing that. Yeah. Let's kind of talk through this off season though. So, you found out there's a new coach coming through during open tryouts, right?
1: Yes, during our tryout process, it was uh, um, leaked. I guess would be the best word to to say through social media in Europe. Uh, well, all over the world, I guess I shouldn't say Europe, but it was leaked through a, a, rec- a source in in Europe that uh, Jim McGinnis was going to be named the head coach, and and it wasn't supposed to come out that way at the end. Um, Mike was going to meet with us and and uh, talk us through it, but I'm sitting there registering players for our combine, and my phone is just going crazy. It's just buzzing, buzzing, and I'm thinking, okay, is there something wrong with my kids? Or, and so I finally I look at it, and you know, all my friends are going, "What's going on?" There's yeah. a new coach, and uh, so it was crazy. Yeah, it's a crazy time that weekend.
0: Yeah. That's how I found out through Twitter. Majority yeah. of us, and I just talked to Mike this off season too. Like. Yeah, so then we transitioned. I mean, all of us came, and there's only like nine players from the jump for the offseason. is that kind of the plan for you guys? I mean, I don't think it was, but.
1: No, definitely wasn't the plan. I think, you know, what was really interesting, and I learned a lot from, um, you know, and I think which really kind of held us back this year is the team was starting to be built one way, and then, you know, there was players signed before Jim was the coach. To play one way with one philosophy perspective and then all of a sudden it's a big change so you've got some guys that are signed that are you know coming in thinking one thing then you have a group of guys that you're starting the process of bringing in and signing it was a, it was hectic and so it was never the plan to start that way um had we not started i don't know when we would have started because <laughs> players just kept trickling in which is it's a really, um, it was a chaotic environment for those first few weeks, and it was very hard to settle as a, as a coach, because it was my first year here too, and I was coming in to work with Mike, who I had known, I, you know, I'd known Mike since he came here to, to run the independence and coach the independence, I should say, um, and so I'd known Mike, we competed, I played against him in the Open Cup a couple of years, and we always had players in and out of training. And we would play, you know, games on Sundays for their reserves. So I I knew how he operated. I knew how he wanted to play. I had good feelings about that. And so all of a sudden that's turned upside down and someone's coming in that I'd never met before. I knew nothing about. Um, So it it wasn't just difficult for the players. It was difficult for the staff because everyone was trying to figure out where they fit in on staff. We were still trying to even put the staff together uh, and we started preseason. I I remember the physicals, it's funny because you know, coming over and just standing there and I'm watching six guys get physicals going, what is going to happen tomorrow? i mean, we how are we going to do a training session? These guys are going to be, oh, man. it's going to be crazy. Yeah. And so I just remember yeah. guys one after the other, everyone was saying, when's the other guys getting here? <laughs> I'm going, yeah, they'll be here.
0: The nine guys training like four four every single day. Oh, fitness, man. Yeah. Yeah. It I was mean, from my perspective too. I came here from like kind of, I talked to Mike early in like November Found out through Twitter about Jim, and then I, I, from a player's perspective, perspective now that I look back on things, I think we kind of felt that divide between like Mike's players and Jim's players, when, as Jim's players started to form in, and so like you, we're all on different pages. Like I knew Mike for five years before this playing against him, and I knew based off my t- time going against him, he's a completely different coach, you know, his style, the way Charlotte just always played, right? And so you could sense like people were on different pages, and that yeah. transition on like six months into it I mean yeah
1: yeah yeah and it was it was difficult because you're right it was guys and and to give credit to the players um during that time I never felt like anyone quit on the process it was difficult uh because there were some sessions that I know people walked away from in games and and myself included that you're just going holy cow is this ever gonna turn the corner? but the guy i thought you guys did a great job of whether some of you were biting your tongue and just kind of going like we're going to see how this goes you know i i couldn't really read that in many body language and guys worked really hard but it was a really difficult you know we were in preseason playing preseason games with a majority of the players trialists yeah i mean like i mean majority we majority of preseason yeah and pre-season. so it that makes it difficult because the one thing that, and, and and you know, Jim knew this too, it was hard to like progress because you're going like, okay, we wanna play this way, we wanna do this, but we have five guys starting against another team that we're not even evaluating or we're evaluating, but we know that like, at the end of the day, they're not gonna be the five, whether they're on our team or not, that are in that group. And so uh, that was crazy. Cause I mean, there was times when I literally would have to call all of my friends locally and go like hey we need six guys for this for this exhibition game and that's how look that's, that's how clay ended up coming to come play with us all the time was i called jake and i said you know jake is clay in town or what guys are in town and i knew clay was a good player and so i was like we, we could bring him in but think about it. he started didn't i think he started next to you in the atlanta Preseason game.
0: Way back before them, the first one was Charlotte. Yeah. We first, that was our first playing center were against Charlotte, way back. Yeah. And then Atlanta.
1: Then Atlanta. That's right. And so it's like – so it was very difficult to progress. And, and so what I felt like I was on this hamster wheel of we we're doing the same thing over and over or we're always restarting from square one because we got a new player in. And that's really difficult mm-hmm. to get points. And then, all, you know, we had to play – you know, indie right out of the gate and some teams that were established and strong and so, you know, when you look at some of those results and you're going like, if we could have flipped those to, to where we were at the end of the year and played those games later. All right. Different story I think. Right. I, I do think we had playoff a playoff caliber team for sure. Hundred
0: percent. Yeah. And my previous shows I talked to some of the guys when I heard about like Dal Maduro, Caban, Enzo coming back, all these guys, like yeah, from my perspective too, it was playoffs hundred percent. We're fighting for a title kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, I really saw it's my first instance even having two coaches, you know, transition in one year, just seeing how all different egos are really hurting the flow and I mean from a player's perspective, like I was very optimistic with nine players, like whatever, like we're still gonna <laughs> right. get this done regardless. Even a right. couple of losses, it doesn't matter. Like I'm, yeah, we were we were very committed. I mean, we still right. were even throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Enzo did a good job of just leading us, mm-hmm. saying, telling us trust the process, kind of thing. Right. What was your role, kind of, with Jim?
1: Yeah, I know uh, Felix was there
0: too. So. Yeah,
1: so I mean, I think that 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 was one of the things that. that uh, you know we kind of had to work through is like we Jim brand new coach staff brand new you know Felix and Jim had known each other but didn't really work together yeah, I just found that out, and we were working on you know we hadn't didn't have a goalkeeper coach at the time I mean we were still so many things were up in the air so what kind of ended up happening and being the role was it was just kind of a catch-all be all like um, you know with every aspect of, of the staff from a training perspective from admin perspective all of those things so because it was his first experience um, and he had a distinct idea of what he wanted to do um, and so it was a tough scenario because he needed to be at the forefront of most of those things so um, you know mostly my role was uh, you know helping to plan training and, and give input in training and then you know at the beginning of training just the warm-up process slash With Cam, you know, working together with Cam and the technical pieces of it, on that, and so, um, you know, we it was really tough. Just like for you guys, with us trying to put together what our roles were, and it was evident on that Mm -hmm. as we went through the beginning part of that because um, we weren't necessarily on the same page all the time, Mm -hmm. to be honest. Uh, And you know, whether that was like with roles with how we wanted to progress, um, you know, and, and because there were so many different players coming in. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of it, I felt like I had to just focus on individually, like getting people to the right spots, to the right place mentally, um, physically and, and where we wanted to go with in stylistically, I guess is the best way to describe it. Right.
0: I remember you telling me when practice, that you got demoted and promoted in, like the same
1: way. <laughs> yes, that was a, that was an interesting week. Yes, I got uh, one at the beginning of the week. I was in charge of running the sessions and creating the sessions, and then by the end of the week, I was demoted. Then back down to uh, not doing that. So I must have done a poor job uh, oh, man, in that process. Weird. But oh. it was a roller coaster, and I think some of, that just sums it up. Yeah, yeah. That first part of it, right. it was an up and down and just kind of trying to the best analogy i gave this to someone the other day it was it was like throwing darts at a dartboard and we're just going to see what we hit and what sticks and um one thing that i'm going to take forward and learn because i obviously want to be a head coach in in this league or league one uh, at some point you know is like getting things as solidified as you can there's going to be change there's going to be the um players coming in and going out and that type of thing, but like to start the way that we started is not fair to the players, one, um, and really to the staff. I mean, we, we really didn't have a chance to set the tone and really drive forward and build. Right. We always felt like we were we were plugging holes in the dam or, you know, what, where are we going next? Right. Um, so, you know, having a distinct idea plan but then just getting everything as organized as possible coming into a new situation that's key
0: yeah so we didn't win in the first six months well one game out of 15 mm-hmm. like i mean were you guys trying different things out as a staff as i told you guys like we're trying to stay optimistic from a player yeah. standpoint we just knew at some point and how talented we were a break had to come
1: yeah yeah i think it was a little bit of both we were trying to to figure out what's the best thing um, to do. And f- as far as structure, like we changed. And, and to me, like changing systems means nothing. Like systems are just numbers, mm-hmm. right? You're, you, you can play stylistically and have the principles in the same game model and you can change your shape. Right. I mean, right. if we want to dominate the ball, it doesn't, you know, it can make a difference maybe a little bit with having extra number in the midfield. But rotations and the way that the game has evolved, those things don't matter. And I think we got a little bit focused on, you know, like trying to solve problems with changing the shape. Like that's going to that's gonna solve this. And I think that was a huge mistake. And, you know, not, it wasn't just Jim. That's me, the staff. That was our, our huge mistake. You know, instead of just saying like these are the principles we want to play by and just day after day after day, kind of driving those homes so that we create these habits so that we can create comfort level of the players. Um, you know, we, we kind of went back and forth and we went, well, you know, if we play with a back three, that gets these guys on the field all together. And we, you know, maybe that fits better with this person because he could be a great wing back. You know, but that you're just looking at small pieces of each part of it, rather than taking the whole picture and saying like, okay, the collective we need to be stronger and defensively. So we're gonna do this, and we're gonna this. These are our principles, and I felt like we've never really kind of honed in on that. Yeah, uh, and, and we just tried to change little things, and we're hoping that it was a quick fix. Right. You can't quick fix it. Right. And I know that there's pressure and. And those types of things, and, and being in the number two or three seat, you don't feel that pressure as much mm-hmm. for the quick fixes. I, I totally understand that. and so. But I think where I failed in is just asserting myself more to say, like, no, 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 we just need to to stick with the plan. One, get the plan. Mm-hmm. Then two, stick with the plan and just keep going. Because I think some of our success at the end of the year, and you can disagree with me if you want to uh, – We basically got a set way of how we wanted to play and we just day after day after day fine-tuned it and made it better and it was like, okay, we have to get sharper in this in order to stay compact. We can't go chase this ball or we can't do that. So we basically set our principles and then our structure changed inside of that. We played with three sometimes, we played with a back four sometimes at the end of the year. People would argue. I say we played a 4-4-2 at the end of the year, Mm -hmm. essentially. In a sense, right? With two guys higher in central and more attacking presence there, and um, you know, so to me, that's what helped us towards the end. And we were able to day after day continue to build on something. Mm -hmm. If you can't build on something, I think you're going to be in big trouble.
0: No, I completely agree. As I said in my meeting, end of the year meeting, Mm -hmm. I just feel like there's no chemistry, and even in the first half of the season like what you're saying it's funny you're even pointing these things out how he tried to nitpick and change the little things that's how we felt watching film almost every single time after a game it's like he's focusing on the little things but in the big picture it was like the whole team is not defending right. the whole team isn't shifting The whole. it's just the littlest right. things but we're focusing on the wrong things mm-hmm. and then like when the turnover happened I felt like we were focusing a little more as a unit and we just had a better idea and a better understanding yeah. that's really what it came down to no matter who was in and out of the lineup no matter what, like you said, you switch pieces up in the formation. But right. those last couple months that we just had a complete understanding, it was just free-flowing, yeah. no one even thought twice. Sometimes we weren't even talking on the field, but we just had that right. understanding out there. And right. that's what ultimately I think is needed too in the long run. A
1: hundred percent. And I think at the beginning, Jim's philosophy and the perspective of that he wanted to play the game was a very extreme way. Mm-hmm. And wrong or right? right. It doesn't, I mean, right or wrong, whatever, it doesn't matter uh, on that because everyone has a different philosophy of the game. But his is, is a very extreme way of doing things in, in, in regards to pressuring and wanting to um, really boss the game through ways that are outside of the ball. Um, and that takes, for me, an extreme amount of buy-in and an extreme amount of work so it's not something that can happen in a short amount of time and the problem then became we weren't getting results we're not we're not getting everyone on the same page like you said we have guys that maybe some of their capabilities are different but we weren't looking at it that again from that collective standpoint we were then trying to gear it towards well based on these are what these guys are doing and so that was an, an area that, again, I thought as a staff, we, we needed to do better. When you know, Mike came in, I think in that scenario, he did a really good job of simplifying everything From a, because you, at that point of the season, you have to. Because right. one, we had to get results. Right. Like we had, to have a chance, we had to get results right away. So you have to, to do as mu- little as you can that makes the most impact. Right. And so for us, it was just simplifying everything. Is, is Here's how we're going to play. Mm-hmm. Here's how we're going to defend. Here's how we're going to attack. Let's get to work. Um, and I don't kind of know of, if you felt that way as a player. That's
0: what I was going to ask you, is that kind of, so Jim gets fired, Mike comes through, is that kind of how it transitioned for you guys? we you have to talk about when he came?
1: Yeah. I mean, essentially that first week, it was basically, uh, we had a game. Mm-hmm. They, the decision was made, I think on a Tuesday. So Did we have. Do you had, have any idea about that? I had no idea. Oh, okay. And that I never experienced that <laughs> <me> before either. <laughs> either, Ever. So uh, there was a lot of for you guys as players and for me as a coach. There's a lot of learning, wow. learning experiences for, for for me. And so and that's man, that's a tough scenario. You don't ever want to see someone lose their job. Right. Um, you know. And so it, and and he was working hard mm-hmm. and and really trying to do some really good things. And he's helped do a lot of great things in the club. So it was, you know, it's just difficult, but it was caught us almost by same kind of surprise as he became the coach, all right, all right, all he right, was in an out. Sure. And so Mike met with us that afternoon and he was like, this is gonna be, you know, we, we have a whirlwind here, we have a game on Saturday and we had basically three sessions. We're just gonna to try to simplify everything and then continue to build. And he identified a couple areas. He's like, these are the two areas that I really want. We, we've got to get better defensively as a group. So it's interesting that you said that collectively because that's what he was wanted to focus on was collectively we have to get better. We can't give up goals, uh, and we can't give up bad goals because we we've given up a few bad goals in that stretch. Uh, you know, we had sat, and you and I had actually talked about a few of them, but, um, you know, we got to stop that, and then we have to be better at controlling the game for Mike he wants to control the game with the ball and so we weren't that wasn't our objective at the beginning Um, we were trying to control the game by playing balls into the other end and pressing hard and winning balls back high up on the field Um, we still wanted to do that we still wanted to win the ball back fast but we wanted to try to then or Mike especially loves and meet myself too I want to dominate the ball as well But so that was it. We're gonna, we we need to get better collectively defending and collectively trying to keep the ball. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That's all we tried to focus on. We wasn't like, and then, you know, Mike, I think uh, does a great job of individually, you know, within our staff and then with the players of going like, we need this guy to sharpen up here. We need to show film here on this guy and we need to make sure that they understand this. And so we gradually started to do more with that um, which we weren't able to do as much of at the beginning because we were still, again, trying to get our heads wrapped around right. everything. Um, which that's not, that's on the staff for sure. But, but yeah, it was just simplify. Uh, no, that was interesting
0: you said that too. I mean, hearing you now, now that I think about the, from the season, like we noticed how you guys took us aside individually with the film. That was probably a couple months into when Mike came, but like that difference, I remember watching Valentino with, um, um, Felix a lot of times you were mm-hmm. taking me a lot I and mean, those helped and we started building chemistry from there right for us too for me I mean one I had no idea I was gonna get fired but that literally that practice everything changed it was free-flowing we talked about it immediately right after right Enzo, and so we we're all like we feel the difference with Mike's here It was just like right. just free-flowing um right. but then he did the little things like I remember in Richmond I was just telling you some years before like when you have a group of 11 just walking through okay this is where you're supposed to be. if Center back steps here. Cover. Uh, yeah. Other midfielders come and double. But just pointing it out to us. I mean, we a lot of times felt like we didn't know. I remember listening to Enzo sometimes in the locker room at halftime to Jim and the gym would be like Jim like, do you want us to press? Do you want us to sit? Do you want us to do this? Do you want us to do that? Like hearing that from our leader who has no question, no idea. Like what are we supposed to do? That means like the whole unit really has no idea if we're supposed to, you know, press if the two yeah. forwards supposed to go and then the two center mids supposed to go or the center. You know what I mean? It was just. Yeah. All different pages, but, to, you know, the little things, it's funny that it's interesting hearing you talk about the little things because they went a long way for us, and I think that's yeah. why we went on a nine game on being run from the jump when he came. Yeah, I and mean, we then went win after that for the next three months. It was just another chaotic time, but then that kind of spoke yeah. to the end of the year, too, how we finally figured things out and just, yeah. you know, we're all on the same page. Yeah. What was your role kind of – were you, like, number two with, with Mike coming in?
1: Yeah, I mean, essentially. I mean, I think that um, – you know, Mike, when he came in at that point of the season, um, you know, he, he needed to be the main voice that everyone heard because it's a tough time. Mm-hmm. Just change coaches it's not a new, somewhat new philosophy. We had returning players and guys that were recruited based on the way that Mike wanted to play, but he needed to be the main voice out there. So, you know, from a training perspective, you know Mike likes to split groups up and things like that and so you know I have a different responsibilities that way to run with different groups I've mostly worked with the attacking group mm-hmm. um, you know but uh, but some of the same responsibilities we Mike wanted to do a lot more film um, so I had uh, a lot of responsibility when it came to putting the you know the different films that he wanted together for us um, Mentality changed a little bit on how we did the basically our scout film um, and set up because he had a different idea of what he wanted to see than than Jim and so. I also feel
0: like Mike is well seasoned in the USL and right. instantly when he came for the films he knew every single player, yeah, every single team. Right. Well, Jim just didn't know this. Just didn't like know. That. No. But and instantly from the film it was like maybe he does this this, this I was right. like oh wow yeah and, and I, the, yeah that's
1: something I think and Mike enjoys that. Like he, he enjoys that aspect of it of knowing all the little things about all the different players, which I, I do too, and and so we we could have probably had three hour sessions if we talked about that, but but yeah he but it was it was I felt like my role was or my voice was a little bit more important when Mike came in, um, just to be honest from that perspective. One for myself, it was a better more of a comfort level. Um, you know with, with that knowing that what Mike wants um, and how to achieve it uh, so that was one perspective but but I felt like I had a little bit more of a voice to and a little bit more comfort to be able to express I mean I expressed stuff with Jim and he wanted to hear our opinions and all of those different things I just felt like the way I see the game or and want to play the game aligned more with Mike um, and so it's naturally a bit easier now we thought different things at times on players and Mm -hmm. and with the way we wanted to do things but that's every staff and every coach and assistant coach are going to do that you know and that's good because you want you want a different opinion as well at times to be able to go like well this is what i think and see might not be right Right. he may not agree with it he might go you know and mike's very bright and he's a thinker and so there'll be times when you tell him that and he'll start thinking about it and and then he'll be like, no, <laughs> or he'll, he'll think about it for a minute and come back and kind of go, okay, let's, let's think through that more, right. um, you know, and, and why. And uh, so I enjoyed that part of it um, because there was a little bit more cohesiveness when it came to how we see the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Jim, I was trying to really just understand a different philosophy and the ways that I can help drive that forward. So it was a learning process for me.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So you have a bunch of fan questions. Big oh boy. guy here in this area, I'm sure you saw some. <laughs> I <laughs> saw them. I'm going to try to knock out a good majority of them. Okay. So what did you learn from this season, both on and off the field?
1: Off the field, uh, patience was a big thing for me. Um, I think commitment was a real big thing that I, I, I really got uh, – it was a tough year for staff-wise um, to go through all of the different things. And so um, just being committed every day. And this is on and off the field. This one can be isn't mutually exclusive. Um, just being committed to show up every day, prepared to give your best to the players. It was difficult at times. I have to admit that. I told uh, Mike this one time the beginning of the year there was i pulled up to the facility one day and i'm sitting in my car and i'm going what did i get myself <laughs> into uh and i'm like i had to give myself a pep talk to go in, in that day I'm, yeah. i mean i'm just being honest yeah, it was yeah. a tough yeah. there was a tough stretch there days, where days, yeah. and i'm sure that you guys had those days and i'm sure that every there are other people that did in mm-hmm. all over this country that coach but mm-hmm. i mean i just so I, the commitment to to showing up every day because I have to bring my best. I can't expect your best if I have a a poor attitude and mentality and commitment. And then patience from the perspective of I'm I'm the type of person that wants things to be done. Perfectionist, I guess, would be the best way to describe it in some ways with it. Um, My wife would say only in soccer. That's the only thing. (laughs) Everything else, no. But so just the patience on how to, even like you said earlier, deal with players, new players of, you know, players with experience, players at different levels, um, but also then trying to find my role. Mm. So there was at times where I was extremely impatient with not having a a role or a voice Mm -hmm. that I wish I would have. Um, So those are the two things for me, commitment and patience, I learned a lot about this year.
0: What defines you as a coach, and what's the best team that you've ever
1: coached? <laughs> uh, man, I think it's de- what defines me as a coach has evolved over time. I'm super competitive, just like anybody in this business that, that gets to this point. Um, and for me, it was, used to be winning. I was completely consumed in, and defined in my life by winning, um, but only because I wanted people to think I was a good coach. Right. Uh, and that's a tough thing to go through. You do it as a player. You, you play and you basically, identity and significance is based on playing time slash accolades, all those things. And I think as you get older and as you mature, you realize that there's different reasons that you play. Uh, and it's the same in coaching. And so for a long, long time for me, it was just about winning so that I wanted people to think I was a good coach. Right. Now I don't give a rip. Right. If, if people, I want to win. Yeah. I don't care what people think about me as a coach from that perspective. Um, for the last few years, it's kind of evolved more into I just love – I love training more than games. Mm-hmm. I love being on the training field, and I love watching players improve and I love challenging players, but I think building that relationship like I talked about earlier, that's for now what I want to be defined as a coach that someone can look at years later and go like, Dave uh, was a good guy. He really challenged me to get better. He knew a little bit about the game that helped me, right. um, but he helped me be a better person, better player. For me, that's important and defines me. Best team I've ever had? So I saw who asked this question. He's going to want me to say the team that he played on that I coached, uh, Lucas. Uh, I would say the be- talent, there's be- there's teams that have been the best talent I've had mm-hmm. and the best teams I've coached are totally difference, separate. Yeah, it's a big difference. So we won the PDL National Championship in 2017. That was the best team mm-hmm. I've had. Not be- And not because they won. Mm-hmm. The We had from top to bottom, the most buy-in I've ever had on a team as far as commitment to excellence and being the best version of you you could be every day on that group. It was awesome. Talent-wise, and ho- hopefully they don't get mad when I say this, <laughs> talent-wise, it wasn't, wasn't even one of my best Eagles teams, talent-wise. Uh, now, there's some really good players on that team and there's guys on that team that are playing professionally and that will play professionally that are younger. They're, they were good, but top to bottom, it wasn't our most talented team. So those guys can argue with each other, the Eagles teams. But um, that was my best team. My best team overall, talent-wise, was the team that Lucas played on uh, in Mississippi uh, PDL team. We had uh, on that team every single guy in the starting eleven is a professional soccer player. Right now, it, or retired. Oh, they right. may have. Wow. It, they all played professionally. Wow. Some are still playing. Wow. Uh, what a team that was team. yeah so and we lost um wow. in penalties so I, my career always got so i'm biased but i felt like in my eight year coaching in the pdl for six of those eight years i had the best team in the country <laughs> now i lost in penalties every year until 2017 in the in the either the to get to the final four or the game in the Final Four, whatever it may be, I lost in penalties. So 2017, we for the last two months of the PDL season, which is only three months long, we practiced penalties almost every day because I'm like, we have a good team, yeah. and I'm not going you know. down the penalties again. And we would do it all different things. We'd made them walk in from the midfield. We'd have them, everyone standing in and around close and trying to distract them. We did all kinds of stupid stuff. We ended up winning our – uh, play in or a game to get to the final four on penalties and guys just every single guy stepped up buried it buried it yeah. buried it and our goalkeeper was brilliant but anyways um yeah. but that team that lucas played on that we lost with mike azira he's still playing in mls and lucas and we had a uh, couple guys that were played over in europe our goalkeeper brendan moore is at atlanta united wow. um he went to england to play after that i mean our back line is still we got richard dixon i don't know if you know Richard. Yep, yep, he's yep. He was a right back. He's playing. Um, Willie Hunt was one of our center backs. He play, I mean, we Lucas played uh, in Atlanta and some other places. I mean, we just had a phenomenal team. David Lilly played for the Real Hawks. Um, what a team that was. Wow, yeah, sounds yeah. like
0: it. Yes. <laughs> Someone wants to know, why is it so difficult for kids or players without agents to get a trial or an opportunity?
1: Wow, that's a great question. I didn't even see that one. Um, Man, that's, that's, that's a great question, and I think it used to be that you didn't have to have an agent, and it was pretty easy to get in front of someone. I shouldn't say easy, because that's, 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 that's not necessarily true. It was You had to have someone in your corner, but you didn't have to have an agent. I think now it's virtually impossible without an agent, and I think some of it, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to answer the first part of this in an honest way. I think a majority of coaches and teams don't have enough manpower and time to do proper scouting and recruiting. That that's sense. that's my opinion. That I'm not saying they're lazy. Right. I think some are. And some rely just on the, an agent calling them with players. Right. Um, but I just think that they don't have enough time. I mean, like, even looking at us, we get – Literally, literally, before we started th- this podcast, we got an email that had an agents list and it had 14 free agents on it. So we can sometimes we can go through and go, we, uh, we know these six guys, we don't know these two or three. Um, you're just bombarded with so much information that it's hard to sift through. I want to see that change a little bit. I think that we do a thorough job. I know Troy out in New Mexico does a great job. Martin Rennie in Indy does a great job of figuring out and trying to find players that may be under the radar or slip through the cracks we don't do a perfect job of it that's for sure um i think some of it's just based on you develop a relationship with certain agents that then they understand the types of players that you want or desire the way you play so it saves a lot of time if they send you a list and go like these are five center backs that are Let's say our, our profile. Every coach has a profile for each position. So this is the athletic qualities I want, the technical qualities, the tactical knowledge and soccer things that I'd like to see. These are the intangible things, attitude, mentality, work rate. There could be an age, height, weight. There's all different things that can go into it and everyone's different. So if, if they have that profile and the agent knows those things so they can go, here's five really athletic center backs, That are really good in the air that have all these five qualities that you like well then it's easier to then just look through that list than to try to find this now where i think this is going to hopefully change for players is as league one expands right and as the usl continues to expand that there's more and more opportunities for players and what i've always told players that you can't i mean it's the same thing with salesmen i guess when you go in You have to get 10 no's before you get a yes and every no is just you're closer to that yes Uh, and everyone sees things different we've had like i in with the charlotte eagles even way back in the day we would have open tryouts and everyone would be like oh you're doing open tryouts just to get money Mm -hmm. the clubs get money and i'm sure there's parts of that for every club Mm -hmm. but to be quite honest right but we always, always found a player in those tryouts that were like, this is a good player. I mean, and and some of those guys went on, then it was a stepping stone right. for for them to be with us, and then on to a bigger club or with more money or whatever it may be. And, and I still think that those opportunities are there. It is harder. Mm-hmm. It is harder. And I think the evolution of soccer in our country, good, bad, or indifferent, it's the same thing with with college. So it's like... Uh, Someone could ask that same question based on college. How do I get to a college outside of being in a DA program? Mm -hmm. Because now the college coaches have shifted towards like my focus of recruiting is DA because quote unquote, these are the best players. And they may be, but I sure know there's a heck of a lot of good players in Charlotte that don't play in the DA. And I know if you drive an hour outside of Charlotte, I know in Mississippi there's no DA and there's good players, Mm -hmm. right? So that's a tough one it's, tough. it's I,
0: tough I mean I tell people too go to those open trials I mean that's exactly how I even got started yeah. throughout the years it's gotten me here mm-hmm. to this situation going to open trials six years ago but I mean if you're just trying to make a name for yourself yeah. like you said keep going the no's and it's eventually yeah. turn to the yes but even just going to those trials you meet different coaches and different you learn. faces you learn, you learn and people talk, and yeah. you know, eventually someone's gonna might just pick you up.
1: Let's use Chad as an example. Mm-hmm. Chad, Chad Porch, that came into us at the end of the year, so he decided that the college route went to college a couple of years, decided oh, I want to try to make, make my way into the game now. Had different things, played in the PDL, played in the NPSL, um, and just kind of stuck, was able to get in front of different people that can recommend him to someone. Now, he has an agent now, but that. The kind of the stick of it, if that's even a word, but like where you go in front of players, because I used to say this all the time when I would meet individually with my PDL League 2 players, go anytime you get invited to anything or you see something that's open to go to, go to it, right? Finances, obviously, or whatever, you, you have to make good decisions, but because you have no idea where you're going to be one time and one person see you and you're the player that they need and and you could go to five of them and be even the best player there and they don't need you they're probably not going to pick you up or you don't fit their profile but you just have to get in front of that one guy that one time and so here i think one of the things that we you know as you know you talk, we talked about looking at video and different things i've i when i get something from someone even if it's an email to our website i always look at the video that they send or if there's no video attached I Google them, and I try to figure out, okay, what's, what? Um, where did they play? I try to figure out anything I can find out about them mm-hmm. as possible. So my kind of answer to that is, is it is more difficult now, but be persistent. Make sure that don't be afraid to play in the League 2 again. So you're saying, all right, I played in League 2, and I can't get these guys to – to get me in, go to another, even if you have to go to a different League 2 team. So there's some League 2 teams that do a great job of promoting their players, and uh, USL coaches and USL League 1 coaches are going to pay attention to certain teams as well. Um, And the PDL has a thing now that they do called the Scouting Network. They're, They're doing everything that they can for players in their league to be recognized and or promoted to USL teams and MLS teams.
0: I didn't know that. So we have a couple questions from Brandon. Okay, Brandon great. Um, so he wants to know instead of this debate, top three Mexican <laughs> restaurants in Charlotte. Cam thinks Paco's Tacos.
1: Yeah. All right. I have to be honest. I haven't been to Paco's Tacos yet, and it's on the list to go there. All right. So I'm uh, I'm sorry. Three Amigos. I like. I don't know if there's different people that like Three Amigos, but my most of my Mexican restaurant choices are dictated by my children. Right, so I, it's not just me dictating those, but Paco Tacos is on the list. Um, my kids, they they uh, they have a little place in Indian Trail that they like. Uh, I can't remember the name of it right now, but uh, that's where we normally end up. But Three Amigos I like, and I'm gonna go to Paco Tacos. Cam, he just hasn't invited me yet.
0: Uh, that's what it is. <laughs> Who has the best, last, worst touch on a technical staff?
1: Holy cow. The best and worst touch on the technical staff. Um, I would say that, honestly, I haven't seen enough of of Mike to to make a judgment on that. I I would say from an experience perspective for sure that Mike might be at the top. Um, I would say worst touch, I would have to myself a little bit, although... Although I've, I've been working uh, on my left foot, the little ping on my left is getting a lot better. Um, so what I would say I would be the worst. I would say, let's go, Mike and Felix would have been tied at the top for best touch.
0: What about Augie and...
1: Uh, oh, man, Augie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say Augie looks the best from that perspective, but it's uh, all show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think when you get down to it and there's a lot of pressure on him, he, he wouldn't he wouldn't do it. So now that he's in the MLS, he'd probably All say right, he, right, he right, he's right, the best. Right.
0: <laughs> so Brandon wants to know that one practice when the ball crossed the line. Do you think it was referee bias because the lack of there was a lack of VAR at Matthew Sportspec that led to the bad call? Yeah. Or what do, you, do you think it crossed the line?
1: All right. So quite a controversy that day. I was there too. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Hugh was there too. Yeah. That was a. And it was a call that I made, let's be honest, um, that I felt like in the moment, without VAR, I have to make a decision. But we've talked to the SportsPlex. We're pretty (laughs) sure we're going to get VAR on our training field for next year. Uh, But as the ball squirted underneath Brandon Miller, I saw the white line and a little bit of green behind it. So at that moment, I made a judgment that the full ball had crossed the line. His argument was that at the angle I was at, I couldn't have possibly seen that, but...
0: Were you behind the pole?
1: I was behind the pole, so I was really only looking with my right eye. <laughs> but with my right eye, I thought I saw some green. So very... My, hey.
0: As a defender, from my view, <laughs> I have to defend my people too. In the heat of the moment, I didn't think it crossed either. Oh, yeah, man. I got you. The, the, oh, yeah. That was a funny one, though. That was a
1: great one, yes. You guys were not happy with me uh, on that. And and my refereeing is shocking. <laughs> Absolutely shocking. I can admit that. Because I just get wrapped up in the game. Right, right. And watching. Bruce so, Shrek. yeah.
0: How much does Popeye's impeding chicken sandwich affect your plans for it? Oh, Mr. Miller.
1: Um, yeah, I, I like to bounce. I'm a thinker as well. I, I'd like to to describe myself as a wannabe entrepreneur. So I like to have different ideas. And so I've had, I'm not gonna mention the full idea here because I haven't uh, t- fully thought thought it through, but I have a certain chicken sandwich competing with Chick-fil-A on a certain day type thing going on. Maybe it's called Sunday chicken. Mm. Um, And uh, Brandon seems to think it's a miserable idea and uh, that with Popeyes and all the the different uh, competition that I I would uh, lose my shirt in that business. So we'll see. We'll see, right? Yeah.
0: If there was promotion and relegation in the pre-practice 5v2, what do you think are the bottom three players relegated to the bench?
1: Wow. Now, in all due fairness, I don't watch as much of the 5v2 because I'm normally then coordinating with Cam on certain things, so I've watched on some days. Um, it seems like to me, to be honest with you, that most of the time that I turn around, there's a goalkeeper in the middle, <laughs> and I, I don't know if uh, you know if that's uh, just because it just happens to be those times I turn around. Is that is that something that happens all the time? But there's a certain goalkeeper that uh, is always in the middle, so I'd have to put Brandon maybe in that group. <laughs> Uh, it always seemed like Man Mansali was in that group uh, in the middle there or always making some kind of excuse of why it wasn't him to go into the middle. And I'm going to be honest, I-, I would have to base it also on the games that I watched that uh Damodoro spent yeah, a lot of time yeah, in the middle of that. And also, uh, every time he got into the middle was the one whining for Cam to get the practice yeah, started. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I-, I mean, so that's got to say
0: say a oh, lot so
1: is. so those those might be the <laughs> the three guys that get, would get relegated to the coaches circle
0: that's funny do you like working with your sister
1: yes i do so my sister moved down here um and she's she does yeah she so works I in knew,
0: from the beginning of the year y'all look <laughs> very similar but yeah, been, so that, yeah. Kind of sense.
1: no 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 we didn't we tried not to tell anyone All but right. she um yep she works in the front office and helps do um, some promotion stuff, some game day stuff, and really just some community out- outreach stuff. She really enjoys enjoys doing that and and loves the game and, uh, and loves to help to try to promote it and work with you guys. So nice. Yeah, I enjoy it.
0: I didn't know that. Of the 2019 independent players, which could go on to become great coaches of the game?
1: Wow. That's a good question. That's a great question. And I think that um, – so I have a natural bias towards – Uh, goalkeepers and center backs being the best coaches um, for, well, A, because I played both of those positions. But for me, I think that they see the game, the whole game. Um, And I also think that uh, it's a lot more difficult for, this is my opinion, let's just say that. So it's a lot more difficult for the ultra creative players to go on and have great careers as a coach. Now everyone is immediately gonna say, what about Zidane? Okay, now there's exceptions to everything. Um, but I think the experiences I've had in this country of coaches that I had that were attacking players, nines, tens, seven-elevens, that they had a harder time communicating what they wanted from the game because so many things come natural to those players. Mm-hmm. So they could never understand why can't you do this? You know, why wouldn't you just do this when the ball ca- came sense. here? And I think with defenders, center backs mostly, goalkeepers, it's pretty kind of lunch pale. There's a lot of creative parts of that, but it's more we see the game from um, more of a uh, holistic perspective because we, we can see everything develop. So I would say on our team uh, from 2019, I think that Alex Martinez already coaches and he's a really good coach. Um, which kind of then bucks my creative player thing. But um, I think he'll end up being a very good coach. Um, let's see. Who else do I think? You know, I, it would be interesting because I think that he is a cerebral player and sees the game at a different level. I just don't know personality-wise. But Kevon, mm-hmm. uh, he, he's a, he, I think he'd be a great leader from that perspective because he's, he's even-keeled and – and, and doesn't really get emotional about stuff. Um, I don't know if he has any desire to be a coach, but I think that maybe he would. Uh, I can see that. Though I don't know who asked this question. If Brandon Miller asked this question, he's probably wanting me to say him. But uh, but I, and which I think he he would be. I think that he, um, you know, he, he has a good eye for the game. I think that uh, you have a good eye for the game. I think that you have a good um, emotional. Uh, part of your you and relationally would do a good job of coaching and I know you coach already so I think you and Brandon Alex Kevon you know and Enzo could do a great job and Jorge um, Jorge uh, you know I think for him he's just so much experience at so many different levels but and then and then Enzo uh, I've actually coached watched him coached and coached against him with youth teams and I know he's really passionate and Mm -hmm does a great job of inspiring kids. I think coaching, especially as you start out and you're coaching in the youth ranks, just developing passion and inspiring players to want to to get better in the game, I think all of you guys would do a great job of that.
0: Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. What's uh, What would be the gag on your real life? Jeez. Gag real of your life, sorry.
1: Um... Oh, <laughs> uh, not sure how to answer on that. Um, you know, there'd be a few things that happened this year on some of our trips, obviously, and when we screwed, I screwed up some things on our trips that would have to be on there with food and and uh, scheduling and things like that, because um, those things are always a, always make me laugh. Um, I got one time in Mississippi coaching, I got sent off. Um, and for uh, jumping onto the field, that that was a, a crazy thing and celebrating. So I sent it. off for that. Mm-hmm. Um, that would maybe – because that one was a little bit comical, but I don't know. Oh, that's a tough one. I'll have to say – I'll come right, back. Right. We'll, we'll, we'll answer that one via Twitter.
0: What's your <laughs> uh, favorite moment as a coach so far?
1: Oh, wow. Um, I think winning the the – 2017 PDL Championship. Yeah. We put a lot of work into that, our staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and the players were, un- like I said earlier, unbelievable in the way that they worked. I mean, we, ha- we had to win our final four games to just get in the playoffs. Wow. Um, and, so, on the title. and we ended up winning. And we played back-to-back. We played in the regional champion semifinal championship we went both games went into overtime and then the final went into penalties I mean, we played in less than 24 hours we played 100 and 240 minutes of soccer those guys were unbelievably committed that was i was really really proud moment of what those guys accomplished together as a group um for me so but i've had a lot i mean i i just I, like i said i love coaching and i just love yeah, the relationships continue. and I think another proud moment was my very first team when those players started to get married and have kids. Mm-hmm. Like that really put a perspective on what you do because you know stay. I've stayed in touch with. I try to. I do a bad job of it, but I try to stay in touch with as many guys and girls that I've coached in the past. And uh, it's really cool to see that and see right. them be parents, see them coach. Right. Like I have a lot of guys that I coach now that are in coaching in colleges. And that is really fun. I went to watch some of their games and and just watching them do their thing is is a lot of fun yeah. A lot of, Full it's circle
0: a, huh? yeah. yeah president of the club, Jimmy ask why me give him more time on the pitch.
1: you know I, I'm going to have to be honest, I think it's a fitness thing <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, and I think you know he might be a little bulldog in the middle of the field, a little mm-hmm. tenacious he's he's a very optimistic guy, so I uh I think that he would also be a, a decent you know, number 10 where he's always trying to play behind because every time he gets the ball, he thinks he could create something great, uh, which on, is one we'll of his it. qualities. But yeah, we, we just need to see – I need to see a commitment to the fitness, um, and we can discuss it over another barbecue at his house because, <laughs> right, right. uh, oh my goodness, what a cook. So, but anyways, uh, maybe it's a fitness thing.
0: Do you have any advice to anyone who's aspiring to be a coach?
1: Yeah, just engulf yourself in the game. I think learning as much as you can about the game and different aspects of the game early on is great. And then continually forming your philosophy. Um, You know, I have a friend that I coached with, he coaches out, uh, Phil Dos Santos, he coaches at Vancouver Whitecaps with uh, his brother Mark. And something he said to me that just stuck with me when we were coaching together all the time was, he would always say, "You, you need to know football, and then know the football you want to play. So you can't, they're not separate from each other. So you have to know the modern trends of the game. You have to understand where the game's going, but within that, then you have to understand how you want to play the game the way you want to play it. Um, And then being adaptable, like learning that as early as you can, because you might want to play the game a certain way, And I heard a podcast about this the other day. Going into a new job, what would be your advice? You know, how would you work that? Because you have your way of playing, but maybe you're inheriting 20 players. You're going into a new college or whatever. It could be any level. It could be a youth team. Um, Just being adaptable. That maybe your idea, your philosophy, your vision for the game, it might have to come in increments, and you have to adjust and be adaptable because that's all of coaching. Um, And the thing that you know. I think Phil, maybe Phil said this, or Martin, it's like coaching's a, an art and science, but it's mostly an art. Right. Uh, and so learning how to, to deal with players, manage players, communicate, um, those things are things that if someone, I wish, you know, when I started this way back when, if someone would have sat me down uh, and told me those things, like, make sure your communication skills are, like, on point. All right. Because that's going to be the most important thing. If you can't communicate what you want, uh, and you can't communicate back and forth with players and between players, then you're going to struggle. Right. And then just being adaptable, creating right. what you want, being adaptable. And then last thing with that is, is as quick as you can, find someone that can be a mentor. Um, you know, that's, and it doesn't matter. Like I think when people think that, they think, oh, I got to get someone who's at the highest level of the game, and they have to mentor. No, they just have to have some experience, and and you know, look at the pathway that you'd like to go, and find someone that's on that journey, and then they can tell you all of the things that you should look out for. Then they can give you advice on the mistakes you've made, and um, but a men- having a mentor is massive, and it's something that I didn't I didn't do till later on in in my career, and I regret that. I wish I would have gotten a mentor. Uh, you know a little bit earlier on well we have some that are influences in our lives coaches and and that we've had growing up and that's how you normally start to coach you coach the way you were coached and then you start to form your philosophy so I wish as I was forming my philosophy I would have had someone that I could have bounced ideas off of sooner in my career I have those guys now that I can call and go like Hey, I had this great idea, and I have them at the point now in our relationship. They can be like, "That is the craziest thing I've ever heard you say. That's never going to work," and it doesn't offend me at all. And I can then go back to the drawing board. Um, you know, they're just just not yes men. They're really there to try to make me the best I can be. So get that, get someone like that a mentor. Uh, I
0: completely agree. That's my life motto: never panic, just adjust. And even mm-hmm. Pep in his interviews and things says that you have to be able to adjust to your players. And I think, yeah, no matter how much of a philosophy you might have, you got to be able to adjust. So I yeah. completely agree. Yeah. Dave, appreciate you coming on yep. the show. Anytime. An amazing show. Yeah. For those of you who don't follow Dave, follow him on any social media, Twitter, Instagram, let him know what you, what you thought about the show, rate, comment, subscribe. Backyard is brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network of podcasts. That's bgn.fm on the internet. You can also follow them on Twitter at the bgn.fm. Backyard Footies also also brought to you by Roughneck Scarves and the Golden Gold Press. And thanks to our sponsor, Golden Gold Press, the best choice of your custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items for just your, yourself or your organization. Check out their amazing prices at a fraction of the price of other places at goldengopress.com.